When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris LeClear here. You're listening to more Morgulons. We are going to pick back up with the short novel slash long short story. We started yesterday at Micromegas by Voltaire. We left off at chapter three. Okay, chapter three. Voyage of the two inhabitants of Sirius and Saturn. Our two philosophers were just ready to take off into Saturn's atmosphere with a very nice provision of mathematical instrument when the ruler of Saturn, who had heard news of the departure, came in tears to remonstrate. She was a pretty, petite brunette, though only 660 fathoms tall, but who compensated for this small size with many other charms. Cruelty, she cried. After resisting you for 1,500 years, just when I was beginning to come around, when I'd spent hardly a 100 years in your arms... You leave me to go on a voyage with a giant from another world? Go, you're only curious. You've never been in love. If you were a true Saturnian, you would be faithful. Where are you running off to? What do you want? Our five moons are less errant than you, our ring less inconsistent. It's over, and I will never love anyone ever again. The philosopher embraced her, cried with her, philosopher that he was, and the woman, after swooning, went off to console herself with the help of one of the dandies of the country. Our two explorers left all the same. They alighted first on the ring, which they found to be fairly flat, as conjectured by an illustrious inhabitant of our little sphere. From there, they went easily from moon to moon. A comet passed by the last. They flew onto it with their servants and their instruments. When they had traveled about 150 million leagues, they met with the satellites of Jupiter. They stopped at Jupiter and stayed for a week, during which time they learned some very wonderful secrets that would have been forthcoming in print if not for the Inquisition, which found some of the propositions to be a little harsh. But I have read the manuscript in the library of the illustrious Archbishop of dot dot dot, who, with a generosity and goodness that is impossible to praise, allowed me to see his books. I promised him a long article in the first edition of Morari, and I will not forget his children, who give such a great hope of perpetuating the race of their illustrious father. But let us now return to our travelers. Upon leaving Jupiter, they traversed a space of around 100 million leagues and approached the planet Mars, which, as we know, is five times smaller than our own. They swung by two moons that cratered to this planet, but have escaped the notice of our astronomers. I know very well the father, Castell, will write, perhaps even agreeably enough, against the existence of these two moons, but I rely on those who reason by analogy. These good philosophers know how unlikely it would be for Mars, so far from the sun, to have gotten by with less than two moons. Whatever the case, whatever the case may be, our explorers found it so small that they feared not being able to land on it, and they passed it by like two travelers disdainful of a bad village cabaret, pressing on towards a neighboring city. But the Syrian and his companion soon regretted it. They traveled a long time without finding anything. Finally, they perceived a small candle. It was Earth. This was a pitiful sight to those who had just left Jupiter. Nevertheless, from fear of further regret, they resolved to touch down, carried by the tail of a comet and finding an aurora borealis at the ready. 
They started towards it and arrived at Earth on the northern coast of the Baltic Sea, July 5th, 1737, new style. Chapter 4, What Happened on Planet Earth After resting for some time, they ate two mountains for lunch, which their crew fixed up pretty nicely. Then they decided to get to know the small country they were in. They first went from north to south. The usual stride of the Syrian and his crew was around 30,000 feet. The dwarf from Saturn, who clocked in at no more than a thousand fathoms, trailed behind, breathing heavily. He had to take 12 steps each time the other took a stride. Imagine, if it is all right to make such a comparison, a very small lapdog following a captain of the guards of the Prussian king. Since our strangers moved fairly rapidly, they circumnavigated the globe in 36 hours. The sun, in truth, or rather the earth, makes a similar voyage in a day, but you have to imagine that the going is much easier when one turns on one's axis instead of walking on one's feet. So there they were, back where they started, after having seen the nearly imperceptible pond we call the Mediterranean, and the other little pool that, under the name Ocean, encircles the molehill. The dwarf never got in over his knee, and the other hardly wet his heels. On their way, they did all they could to see whether the planet was inhabited or not. They crouched, laid down, felt around everywhere, but their eyes and their hands were not proportionate to the little beings that crawled here. They could not feel in the least any sensation that might lead them to suspect that we and our associates, the other inhabitants of this planet, have the honor of existing. The dwarf, who was a bit hasty sometimes, decided straight away that the planet was uninhabited. His first reason was that he had not seen anyone. Micromegas politely indicated that this logic was rather flawed. For, he said, you do not see with your little eyes certain stars of the 50th magnitude that I can perceive very distinctly. Do you conclude that these stars do not exist? But, said the dwarf, I felt around a lot. But, answered the other, you have pretty weak senses. But, replied the dwarf, this planet is poorly constructed. It is so irregular and has such a ridiculous shape. Everything here seems to be in chaos. You see these little rivulets, none of which run in a straight line. These pools of water that are neither round nor square nor oval nor regular by any measure. All these little pointy specks scattered across the earth that grate on my feet. This was in reference to mountains. Look at its shape again, how it is flat at the poles, how it clumsily revolves around the sun in a way that necessarily eliminates the climates of the poles. To tell the truth, what really makes me think it is uninhabited is that it seems that no one of good sense would want to stay. Well, said Micromegas, maybe the inhabitants of this planet are not of good sense. But in the end, it looks like this may be for a reason. Everything appears irregular to you here, you say, because everything on Saturn and Jupiter is drawn in straight lines. This might be the reason that you are a bit puzzled here. Have I not told you that I have continually noticed variety in my travels? The Saturnian responded to all these points. The dispute might never have finished if it were not, if it were not for Micromegas, who, getting worked up, had the good luck to break the thread of his diamond necklace. The diamonds fell. They were pretty little carrots of fairly irregular size, of which the largest weighed 400 pounds and the smallest 50. 
The dwarf recaptured some of them, bending down for a better look. He perceived that these diamonds were cut with the help of an excellent microscope. So he took out a small microscope of 160 feet in diameter and put it up to his eye, and Micromegas took up one of 2,005 feet in diameter. They were excellent, but neither of them could see anything right away and had to adjust them. Finally, the Saturnian saw something elusive that moved in the shallow waters of the Baltic Sea. It was a whale. He carefully picked it up with his little finger and resting it on the nail of his thumb showed it to the Syrian, who began laughing for a second time at the ludicrously small scale of the things on our planet. The Saturnian persuaded that our world was inhabited, figured very quickly it was inhabited only by whales. And as he was very good at reasoning... He was determined to infer the origin and evolution of such a small atom, whether it had ideas, a will, liberty. Micromegas was confused. He examined the animal very patiently and found no reason to believe that a soul was lodged in it. The two voyagers were therefore inclined to believe that there is no spirit in our home. When, with the help of the microscope, they perceived something as large as a whale floating on the Baltic Sea. We know that a flock of philosophers was, at this time, returning from the Arctic Circle, where they had made some observations, which no one had dared make up to them. The Gazettes claimed that their vessel ran aground on the coast of Bothnia, and that they were having a lot of difficulty seeing things straight, but the world never shows its cards. I'm going to tell how it really happened, artlessly and without bias, which is no small thing for a historian. Chapter 5. Experiments and Reasonings of the Two Voyagers Micromegas slowly reached his hand towards the place where the object had appeared, extended two fingers, and withdrew them for fear of being mistaken, then opened and closed them and skillfully seized the vessel that carried these fellows, putting it on his fingernail without pressing it too hard for fear of crushing it. Here is a very different animal from the first, said the dwarf from Saturn. The Syrian put the so-called animal in the palm of his hand, the passengers and the crew, who believed themselves to have been lifted up by a hurricane and who thought they were on some sort of boulder, scurried around. The sailors took the barrels of wine, threw them overboard into Micromegas's hand, and followed after. The geometers took their quadrants, their sectants, two Lapland girls, and descended onto the Syrian's fingers. They made so much fuss that he finally felt something move, tickling his fingers. It was a steel-tipped baton being pressed into his index finger. He judged by this tickling that it had been ejected from some small animal that he was holding, but he did not suspect anything else at first. The microscope, which could barely distinguish a whale from a boat, could not capture anything as elusive as a man. I do not claim to outrage anyone's vanity, but I am obliged to ask that important men make an observation here. Taking the size of a man to be about five feet, the figure we strike on Earth is like that struck by an animal of about six hundred thousandths, the height of a flea on a ball five feet around. Imagine something that can hold the Earth in its hands and which has organs in proportion to ours, and it may very well be that there are such things. Conceive, I beg of you, what these things would think of the battles that allow a vanquisher to take a village only to lose it later. I do not doubt that if ever some captain of some troop of imposing grenadiers reads this work, he will increase the size of the hats of his troops by at least two imposing feet. But I warn him that it will have been done in vain, that he and his will never grow any larger than infinitely small. 
What marvelous skill it must have taken for our philosopher from Sirius to precede the atoms I have just spoken of when Leeuwenhoek and Hartsoker tinkered with the first or thought they saw the grains that make us up. They did not by any means make such an astonishing discovery. What pleasure Micromegas felt at seeing these little machines move, at examining all their scurrying, at following them in their enterprises. How, he cried out, with what joy he placed one of his microscopes in his hands of his traveling companion. I see them, they said at the same time. Look how they are carrying loads, stooping, getting up again. They spoke like that, hands trembling from the pleasure of seeing such new objects and from fear of losing them. The Saturnian, passing from an excess of incredulity to an excess of credulity, thought he saw them mating. Ah, he said, I have caught nature in the act. But he was fooled by appearances, which happens only too often, whether one is using a microscope or not. Ooh, cliffhanger. All right, we're going to finish up this story. The last two chapters, sorry, I was incorrect the first uh, yesterday. There's seven total. So we've gone through five. We've got two more. Things just started getting good. I love this story. All right, thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying it as well and stay tuned.